Hello, and welcome to The Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's best contenders for the industry's biggest awards. I'm Shana Naomi Crockmall, Digital Director at EW, and I am joined again by my co-host, EW's Awardist columnist, David Canfield. Hello, David. Hey, Shana. And today, we also have EW's feature ed Features Editor, Sarah Rodman. Hello. Hello. Welcome. So, welcome. Uh, welcome. Oh, yes, you're welcome <laughs> <to> you. <laughs> but you're welcome also. <laughs> uh, this podcast is part of our comprehensive awards coverage in the magazine and online at EW.com. And today we're going to talk about the Golden Globe nominations, uh, which have just come out. Um, there have been a lot of other awards and uh, nominations that have come out over the last week or two, a lot of yes. critics, organizations, other, other various bodies. So we're going to talk through those, how, what it means. And then, David, you spoke to Cynthia Erivo. Yes, who is a double Golden Globe nominee. Ooh. Very exciting. Ooh, ooh. Uh, she's a Best Actress contender and original song contender for Harriet. Uh, so it's a good day to have her on. We wanted for people to see that this was a young woman who was in love. And that was what she was first. And I think it changes the way people see her so that when she does become the hero, it's all the more effective, it's all the more meaningful because it comes from that. It comes from someone who is very human and has to overcome human things to become the hero that she is. Okay, Golden Globe nominations are here. Um, this is, you know, I think we've seen a lot of other critics, organizations, and lots of lists. We've made lots of lists, and we'll talk about some of those also. But I feel like in many ways, this is the big sort of first wave of nominations. And even though not all of it will impact the Oscars, and it also includes television, this is like what we've kind of been building up to, right, David? Yes, this is the first major week of Oscar season. This is Golden Globes, Critics' Choice Awards. We'll have the SAG Award nominations coming out later this week little weird groups like AFI, National Board of Review, regional critics organizations, and none of them mean that much <laughs> in isolation or at all, but sort taken of together. taken together, they paint a picture of the race that mostly tells you where we're going. And of course, there are going to be a few surprises at the Oscar nominations. But for the most part, we kind of know what we're, what we're dealing with. So let's talk about the Globes. The Globes, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, it's about 90 journalists who are based in Southern California who work for international outlets. Yes. Um, <laughs> it is sometimes makes sense, sometimes doesn't. Yes. That is, <laughs> also, you're yes. going to be so diplomatic about the, goal, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. <laughs> Sarah, it's tell a, us how you really a feel. A group of people that... You know, again, they, they work for international outlets. I think they approach this because they are international differently than we do here. I don't think they care about sort of conventional wisdom or what our lists are, or what anybody else lists are. I think they care a lot about, they do have sort of a continental approach to things and they also care about access. I yeah. mean, it is not a secret that the people who sort of cater to them in a way, end up getting a favorable judgment on Golden Globe it nomination. It is a year-long campaign process for the yes. Globes. Also, I mean, to their credit, they make a much better television show exactly. than any other award show, yeah. period, for any kind of, I would say, like, the Globes are the most engaging, the They're drunkest, as, as people always say, but also just, like, the most interesting, which has given them more clout It is generally overall. the most star-studded as well, and sometimes there are nominations, as we saw this morning, and perhaps we won't be saying who, but there will be people that are nominated because they would like those people to attend the show. Correct. <laughs> so let's talk about who actually got nominated this morning. Uh, it's Monday that we're recording this. You'll hear this probably sometime either on Monday or Tuesday. Mm -hmm. um, but we have all been up way too long to act like this is not the day that we're talking about. So we'll just, we'll just be true. It's Monday. Yeah. It's Monday. <laughs> We've this been up morning. since five in the morning. <laughs> this morning, Marriage Story led with six nominations. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman each had five. On the TV side, Chernobyl, The Crown, Unbelievable each had four nominations. Those are kind of like the big, the biggest of the big. We'll we'll get in a little bit deeper in there. Netflix dominated um, across both film and television. Mm -hmm. David, what's your main takeaway from these nominations? Uh, I think the main takeaway is that they are mostly in line with what we've expected. Like if you think about the strongest Best Picture players right now that we've been talking about, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, Parasite also did quite well for foreign language film. They are all well represented here. Um, 
then there's the unfortunate side of things that they did not recognize any women directors, not even Greta Gerwig, whose Little Women is a very strong contender and who did very, very well at the Critics' Choice Award nominations the day before. Um, the Farewell, Lulu Wang missed out on recognition, and, you know, take your pick. This has been a very strong year in that department, so yeah. it's especially glaring. And I think... And no women on the screenplay side. And no one on either. the screenplay side either, which is really bizarre in this day and age that it's disappointing yeah and bizarre is a very nice word for it. i was so angry i actually was like i don't even know how to get past this to figure out the rest of the things for us to talk yeah. about and i feel like screenplay this year category that parasite screenplay is in a different category the parasite screenplay it's all one screenplay category so it's not adapted no so it's all men mm -hmm. oh, wow. all men oh. Writing, directing, movies are really just made by men. Sometimes they let women be in them. But you thought you had one thing to no. hold on. I thought there was one. No. That makes me deeply no. sad. No. So, yes, that. And then also, like, very, and I think we can talk about this a little bit more later as well very white group of nominees. Yes, uh, we mentioned Cynthia Erivo, who uh, it's really nice to see her recognized, but others like Lupita Nyongo, who's been doing really well in the critics. Circuit has not was not recognized here. Um, other maybe contenders like Jamie Fox. Yeah, um, out of Murphy more than was it was like about seventy nominees for acting. Nine were people of color. Mm -hmm. I, I think to Sarah's point, there's sort of a toxic relationship between talent and studios and the Golden Globes because we would want them to not matter at all, and they are kind of a ridiculous organization in a lot of ways. But because they got all this access and because they are so central to what is screened, when it is screened, how things are positioned. They just take on this sort of influence and importance in a mm -hmm. lot of people's minds. So, And I think the exposure of them is significant. Like, oh, for sure. Right? Like, mm. you win a Golden Globe. We've been, I mean, I've been saying this in the beginning. You win a Golden Globe, that is your best campaign opportunity for winning an Oscar. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like, that award speech, that's it. There's no more primetime opportunity that you're going to have to convince people across all of those voting bodies to vote for you again. Yeah, I think. Right. It's the audition for the Oscar. That yeah. If you think this speech is good, wait till you hear the speech I'm going to give later this month. Yeah. Regina King was not a top, top contender at that point. She missed Screen Actors Guild, but when she won the Golden Globe, she gave a really beautiful speech. I think that was really important. Glenn Close winning for The Wife, which was such a small yeah. movie, and she gave such, you know, she tremendous. walked to the stage, yeah. she was crying, it was, an, it was a really tremendous speech. And she didn't end up winning, but I think she was a lot closer than she would have been. Uh, Rami Malek? That. Yeah. Absolutely, I don't think would have been in the Oscar. And they went, they went crazy. Had for it been, for, <laughs> yeah. But it's so funny. That's the complication here, right? That there is a level on which that we all stipulate that this award does not matter, except that it does matter right. in an optics sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That people pay attention to this, and the show is a big popular show. Yeah. And so it does matter. It doesn't matter necessarily in a. It's an in enormous honor kind <laughs> yes. of yeah. su substance, but yeah. in, a, in the awards race, it matters. Mm -hmm. So what were you, David, what were you surprised by? Um, I think my biggest surprise overall was Annette Benning getting nominated, actually. Very specific nomination. She just seemed to be totally... Movie Even just, though we thought she was so good, and we had been talking about how movie, we thought she would, should be a contender. But it really just hadn't been gaining any traction, and it's just she's not necessarily like the kind of person the Globes would like go out on a limb for, but they did, which is nice. Mm -hmm. um, they also nominated Jennifer Lopez in that category, who I think will win the Golden Globe. 100% she's going to. Yes, uh, and I think most consider Laura Dern the frontrunner in that overall race but i think you think she's gonna it's, it's her audition get that one. yeah <laughs> but it also seems more likely that laura dern will win an oscar where jennifer lopez correct yeah win. this is this is sort of jennifer lopez's moment to be like here's why maybe i should win the oscar and it's one of the flukes at the globes that the supporting actor and actress nominations are just one across the board as opposed to being split into comedy and drama right so the best act, like the actor contenders for drama and comedy, normally you wouldn't see if Annette Benning and Jennifer Lopez's roles were Correct. in the lead actress categories, they would not be going head to head, but because all the supporting actors from film were combined together, right. they are. And a lot of people were surprised by the two popes getting a lot of nominations. That just felt like such a Globes movie to me. I wasn't particularly surprised. And also, you know, Netflix was really putting every contender out in front of the HFBA and 
almost half of the Best Picture nominees are Netflix movies, which mm -hmm. partly speaks to the strength of their movies, but also to the access they provided. Mm -hmm. And their campaign strength. Yes. Mm -hmm. Netflix Correct. is really serious about FYC. They yeah. didn't do too bad on the TV side either. Exactly. <laughs> no. So, yes, Netflix knows how to campaign. Anything else you were surprised to see in a good way that you were pleasantly surprised to see? I was, well, I mean, we were talking about Greta Gerwig and mm -hmm. No Women Directors. The fact that they did nominate Todd Phillips there for Joker both surprised and upset me greatly. I'm not <laughs> a fan of The opposite of being pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yes. Same. I am <laughs> not a fan of that movie, but I also don't. And that, like, the idea that that happened and Greta Gerwig did not. Yeah, I just don't yeah. personally understand that, but. This is also the group that did nominate Greta Gerwig two years ago for Lady Bird, which I think was actually important in rallying around her to get a nomination at the Oscars for Lady Bird, which could very well happen again here. Do you think it will? Do you think there will be that outrage campaign well, reserved? We were talking about the Critics' Choice, and they actually tend to be a bit more representative of the Oscars, just the nature of who's voting, the size. It's a, it's a larger group. They really love Little Women. It was one of their most... Um, cited films mm -hmm. and Greta was in for screenplay and director and picture which I think is a good sign of its chances at the Oscars and I do think in the end she could break And I think one thing that it's interesting about Lady Bird too is we forget the Globes have their favorites and they also have their not favorites that if you didn't get nominated that first time out when you were shiny and new mm. when they like you the best. I love you when you're shiny and new. They're probably not yeah. going to exactly. come back to you unless also, it is a crazy comeback. And both of those are very American films. Like, mm -hmm. with a very, yes. like, specific either time or regional sort of, like, specificity, yeah. which I feel like is also not something you see a lot of at the Globes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because it has just this very, like, moment in time or place, whether you're talking about, like, Sacramento or you're talking about, like, right. the, Concord, you know, Massachusetts. Concord, Massachusetts. Although, theoretically, those should be international concepts, right? Coming yes. of age. Yes. But may not have as much international appeal in a box office sense and in a sort of, like, if they're covering stories in a films on a routine basis for their audiences in those home countries that yeah. for the outlets they're reporting on. I can't imagine Little Women has as much appeal as Joker. I think right. the general takeaway is that they have weird taste and weird priorities. <laughs> and if something doesn't get it in the Golden Globes, it's really not a deal breaker. Yeah. I have to know if the 19, was it 94 Little Women? Yeah. Did that get nominated for a Golden Globe? Like, let's I go back in time. I don't know. Yeah. Remember with Claire Danes and Kirsten Dunst? I, I mean, I remember Susan it. Sarandon. I think... I, well, Rona got in at the Oscars. It, yeah. That was not a, as big of an Oscar movie, though. No, it wasn't as big of a It got a no. couple yeah. nominations. But still, it seems like... It appears that it did not receive any Golden Globe nominations. Oh, all right. Very so maybe there. they're just against Little Women. <laughs> they Little Women. HFPA says no to Louisa May Alcott. Well, uh, there was already today on Monday various people who were, um, like, it, directors and other people in Hollywood who were commenting on the lack of women in particular, the director of Honey Boy, Almaharal, like tweeted, do not look for justice in the award system, which I think is a very good rule of thumb. Great, Absolutely. Like, what a reminder at the beginning of the season. This <laughs> is not, not why we do this. Do not look for justice in the award system. Well she said, um, in response, HFPA's president, Lorenzo Soria, told Variety, we don't vote by gender, we vote by film and accomplishment. Which wow. is somehow more insulting, I feel like. Yeah, that's like saying. Neil Portnow's step up thing a couple of years ago in the Grammys. Yeah, these when guys said have women not needed figured to out step how, up. Yeah, to answer that this is... question. Like, there's a way to just be like, here are the ones we loved. It was a crowded field. Like, everyone that sure, so that... many to choose from. This was. And also, they know it. what they are ahead of time, right? Yes, so, why are they not prepared surprised. to answer this question? I, I that's quite a response. Right. Yeah, that was. I, re I remember some predictions were like, oh, of course Greta's going to get in for screenplay because they're going to want like her and Noah Baumbach to go against each other because these are the Golden Globes and they like the drama. And it's like that, that is their reputation to begin with yeah. for why Greta Gerwig well, would get a nomination. <laughs> I mean, she did. I mean, she deserved it, but that would have also been fun. I think she did a better job. <laughs> um, all right. Any other big snubs on the film side that you want to talk about? I mean, I think speaking of women directors, obviously Marielle Heller for mm -hmm. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Neighborhood. That movie is increasingly looking like a Tom Hanks only play, which is a shame because yeah. yeah, 
those actors, I love when they just give those amazing, amazing award-winning performances. And it's like, where did that come from? Was anyone else involved in that? Did anyone <laughs> Did anyone them? tell them how maybe oh. they should talk them? or stand or <laughs> no, move no. around? Just burst on its own. Um, and with the big famous people, it's easier to isolate them that way, yeah. too. That Tom Hanks is just, you know, sort of naturally, organically sure. genius. She probably didn't really have anything to do with that. Um, yeah. Uh, David, what, what else were you surprised to not see? I'm surprised to not see, meaning... Or, sn or snub, just in the snub category. Well, I think in the snub category, Clint Eastwood's Richard Jewell is sort of stalled, which I'm pretty neutral about. <laughs> Kathy Bates did get nominated, mm -hmm. and she's been popping up. She seems she might be their main focus. Because mm -hmm. um, this is also the time when sort of campaigns start to clarify what they want to focus on. Yeah. Um, no I've, Florence Pugh. No Florence Pugh, which I think mostly falls into the yeah the women's because stuff, she was. Yeah. I was surprised she even got in at the Critics' Choice because mm. that's a competitive category, and yeah. I wasn't quite sure that she would yeah. go all the way. But I think she still has a shot. Um, Knives Out has been a really strong player for the whole week, which is interesting. Yeah. So this so is Daniel, recency bias, Yeah. Right? Yes. Or, or, I mean, I think it also has... Like, not that it's not great. Yeah, well, but, I mean, Daniel Craig for actor, Ana Darmas for actress. actress. Which won't go through to the Oscars, but... No. AFI Intriguing. nominated it for picture. The Globes put it in comedy. Um, and that's where it is helped by the Globes having a comedy category exactly. here. Where Absolutely. You might not see it at the Oscars for that exact same reason. I yeah. think a lot of people were thinking that something like Ford v. Ferrari would be more of that populist choice, but this, I think, has emerged more as something that people just really enjoy. Fun, actually Great, watchable, fun, like big cast. So, it, it, you know, if it gets into SAG nomination, the, the ensemble category, it could have a real shot. Interesting. Okay. What else? Anything else you want to say about the Globes film nominations? The Globes film nominations? I think that about, that about covers it. Yeah. I mean, there's some like certainly some like really strong performances in there. Some pleasant surprises. I was glad to see Beanie Feldstein get nominated for Booksmart. Yeah. Um, I thought she was so strong, and and again, just a performance born of nowhere. And Olivia Wilde had nothing to do with. Um, but overall. Solid. A little Solid. more love for Jojo Rabbit than maybe we would have expected. Although De Niro, did we think? Oh, yeah. Best Actor is interesting because De Niro, I've, I've had a thing about him in this movie for a while. I think he's great, but it, it's such a competitive category and it's it's a pretty passive part. Right. It's not the showiest part That I could film. easily see people who are checking off their ballots being like, eh, just kind of moving past it. And this does feel a little telling to me because they liked the movie. Yeah. It even got in for screenplay. Yeah. And they don't, have, you know, they don't separate adapted and original. So that was a little concerning for his chances. They also didn't nominate Adam Sandler, who has been gaining a lot of traction. Mm -hmm. And is a Golden Globes kind of nominee. Exactly. So I that, mean, that also felt like a warning sign. A funny guy is being serious. That is right up their alley. That's, yeah. That's what they love. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about TV at the Globes. Mm -hmm. um, big headlines. Obviously, no no broadcast series were recognized in any category. So that is the all. biggest snap of all. The biggest snap of all, and we were very close to that last year. And like, I think there were no wins last year. And same yes. thing with like at the Emmys. We've certainly seen this trend emerging. But 17 nominations on the TV side for Netflix, 15 for HBO. Hulu, Prime Video, FX, Apple TV+, Plus, which has only even existed for like three months, Showtime, BBC America, USA Network, and that's it. That's the entirety of the networks represented in these nominations. So Apple are, are the happiest people this morning, that they're the very newest player and that they got something right away for a show that we'll say charitably has show. gotten mixed reviews for The Morning Show, which I personally love. Yeah, me too. I think that it has obvious flaws that people are complaining about, but I think Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, and Steve Carell are so good on this show that I am willing to overlook the flaws. So they're very excited. The, the confusing thing to me was, again, with Netflix, and this is increasingly going to be a problem for them that they have so many shows, mm -hmm. but somehow when they see us is not one of these shows. Right. And that is by far the next biggest snub after the broadcast snub, that this yes. was richly rewarded everywhere, deservedly rewarded everywhere, but we have the Kaminsky method, the politician, dead to me, These are Russian also doll. very white Unbelievable, shows. which is really the one that took its place. Which is here. terrific. Yeah, and, and it's unbelievable great. Unbelievable is a great nomination, but it's so shocking to me that nothing 
from, I mean, it feels willful in a way. Mm -hmm. And I will say no more than willful about it, but it, it is crazy. And then also on the HBO side that there's a lot of love for Barry and there's a lot of love succession, but Veep, which was a Golden Globe favorite, not getting anything on the way out the door. Kit Harrington being the only person being recognized from Game of Thrones, but maybe the less said about that is the better. And mm -hmm. even the HFPA thought that as well. And he has been a favorite of theirs. And then, um, but not Watchmen, which is their big new buzz show, which is, in my opinion, the best show of the year. Yeah. And I think that might just, it is, it's not, it's too recent for recency bias. I don't think they've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And because it's, I feel like it is the kind of show that they would have gone for. Yeah, I'm surprised that HBO, I mean, maybe HBO did really put weight behind this, or maybe they were like, eh, we'll just get it at the Emmys, um, because I was surprised to see that not reflected here. But I mean, like, truly, even more so than on the film side, when you look through which shows and which actors are being recognized, mm -hmm. there's so little diversity in these nominations. It is like, even the people of color who are recognized on, like, there are a handful who their shows are in fact also about experiences that are not just about white people, so Rami Youssef's show. Right. But, there's not, I mean, you know, Billy Porter for Pose is and obviously Rami a Malik. show. And I think and that Rami is Malik. the extent of it. So pretty no much women the extent of it. Also, no women of color. And it's interesting because here's what was another opportunity in sort of the idea of let's create drama, no Sandra Oh for Killing Eve, which mm -hmm. could right. they could have put her up against Jodie Comer and mm -hmm. for some reason chose not to do that. And this is someone who won that award mm -hmm. <laughs> previously. Not long ago. And yeah. so, again, it's curious why they would have left her out if they're still going to support a show that is now that got mixed reviews in its most in its latest season why leave out the person that you actually gave yeah. the award yeah. to before yeah. there are some interesting showdown moments that i think we'll get to see on the television side right so you have reese and uh, Jen, and both, Jen from North, both from the morning show and, and nicole, nicole kidman all nominated in the same category yes. so I, overlapping co-stars um in plus that. a very formidable category too just with olivia yeah. coleman also and i think that that's i mean olivia coleman was like the candidate made for the golden Globes, <laughs> right mm -hmm. she totally. is british she is delightful she is filthy she is fantastic yeah mm -hmm. i think if they could nominate her for like being in commercials they would nominate her for i mean that. along those same lines if much you know, in a very kind of more recent way, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I think right. this really extends what we saw at the mm -hmm. Emmys, which felt more like a Golden Globes kind of moment to have her and Fleabag do so well there. I think this really sort of sustains that Absolutely. streak. Yeah, and she's another type of personality that they like very much. But there, I mean, you can't really lose speech-wise, TV ratings-wise with anybody in that Best Actress category. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, you're going to get a good night, and you're going to get great reaction shots mm -hmm. uh, of Witherspoon, Anderson, and, uh, I mean, all of them will yeah. do the big smile, yeah. stand up and cheer for whoever wins. And on the comedy side also, I mean, you've got Christina Applegate, Rachel Brosnahan, Kristen Dunst, Natasha Leone, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, so... Uh, all of those actresses. Right. Yeah, Solid, it's a good category. Good. But look out for Kirsten Dunst there, right? She's the shiny new in this category, not maybe yeah, shiny they like new to in be the world. First. Yeah, and I mean, and on Becoming a God in Central Florida, <laughs> not a show a lot of people maybe have seen. Exactly, but it's a show that is the exact kind of show. I mean, they've already done Maisel, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And Phoebe would be the easy choice, and, like, there's other options. Like, mm -hmm. Kirsten Dunst, I think, is a really good shot. I do, that. in general, find the Globes more interesting on the TV side because I think it is a place that sometimes really helps launch or like yeah. push forward a show that is quite good but and very niche and then like they abandon those people though the crazy ex-girlfriends yeah. and the jane the virgins yeah that they want to be first the first time <laughs> and then <laughs> they like say good luck you guys <laughs> shove you out of the nest go, yeah. go to the fly on your own you but barry being an exception there that of something that mm -hmm. they have loved mm -hmm. repeatedly now and is fully deserving of that this is mazel too has come back mm -hmm. with a lot of nominations. Any other fun Globes moments that we're looking forward to? Oh, the song on the song side. <laughs> we yes. actually had quite a discussion about this this morning. So you've got Beyonce for the Lion King song. You've got T Taylor Swift for Cats. Taylor you Swift have, and Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yes, I sorry. Mean. For Cats. You have Elton Not John. Not an insignificant person. For Elton John for the song from Rocketman. Yes. Uh, Cynthia Revo, who both sang and wrote the music and lyrics mm -hmm. for the song um, from Harriet. And, and uh, like, that's a lot. I mean, I think it's that will be good. Power. It's a big competition. I actually think 
that Taylor and Beyonce are going to split the votes and Elton's going to win because Elton is a totally Golden Globe yeah. kind of personality. Yeah. Big and brash, not afraid to campaign and spend some money. He loves like, to shop. And they, and they love the show, uh, the movie. Yeah, they yeah, love yeah. Rocket Man. They, yeah. they nominated Taron. And, and the, you know, we all have complex feelings about Rocket Man, but we have completely uncomplex feelings about Taron and Elton, who we love unabashedly. And so I really do think the divas might split the vote. And, and the real diva. Somewhere like, excuse me, excuse me. I think he wins. The true across the, the vintage diva. They well, saw actually. they saw cats. And they didn't oh, yeah, really like give the it anything. Who've seen they're cats. the only people who've seen cats. <laughs> and they it. didn't give it anything except for this, so they don't love it. So I, and apparently I, they thought the Lion King was animated. Right. <laughs> yes, there was a whole it separate thing. That they way. did not they like made Disney their did not submit it, and and Disney has strongly not agreed with the idea that that film is animated. Um, yes. And yet, it's in, kind of in that very category. antithetical to the entire point of a live action. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I think Andrew Lloyd Webber might. I mean, I think even more importantly than Taylor might be a spoiler on that ticket for for Elton. That they, I mean, this is a a body that probably loves Phantom and loves shows like this, whether they're movies or not. And yeah. so I think, but I'm rooting for Elton anyway. I really do think that that's a decent possibility. And I hope that Taryn sings on the show. Yeah, I mean, I think the actual performance broadcast possibilities raised by this are amazing. So I hope that- Yeah, it's a great group performance wise. Elton's sort of the big moment that yeah. they could get to. Like, yeah. I mean, yes, having, I guess, Andrew and Taylor. <laughs> well, it's not like Andrew Lloyd Webber's gonna perform. Right. No, but I, I just mean like, in terms of the speech and what kind of moment they yeah. it's, it's an emotional sure. possibility. It's good. But I mean, for it's, spectacle purposes, Elton's their best choice. Yeah. Yes. Even with Beyonce, because you know she'll just be like calm and quiet and demure and lovely. And right. it's not like she's going to bring Beychella to the Golden Globes. No. And I think no matter how much someone might want to create more feudy sort of tension between Beyonce and Taylor, I don't think either of them is going to. Yes, no, this is not Also, I think, like, I think Elton. Cats fight? I mean, Elton has already, like, <laughs> slammed the other music from Lion King, a right. show that he helped create. So I think like if there's going to be drama, if there's going to be whatever, I think everyone's in looking in that direction. Right. But for the Wisely. best possible reasons. Wisely. And yeah. that could be super fun. That's the kind of drama we want. That's the kind of broadcast I feel like I rely <laughs> on the Golden Globes. To and that Ricky Gervais could help yes. stoke. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yes. He could make out John like Mad somehow. Full, like, when do we get it to, like, the full, like, food fight version of the Golden Globes? Like, that's what I feel like <laughs> yes. one day we're just going to work our way towards. Probably not this year. A lot Probably of British not. people, so. Yes. Yes. We need Olivia more Americans Coleman's for them. Living they're just so articulate even them. when they're super drunk. So it, like, makes it feel very Oh, yeah, esteemed. for sure. Um, yes. Okay, Golden Globes. We, we have gotten this far. They air on January 5th. Um, we will have complete coverage. We'll talk about them more before we get there. Um, what do you want to say about these other critics' choice and other other honor, like both awards that have just been handed out already by yeah. some of the regional critics associations and nominations um, or recognition, David? It's just nice to see people like Lupita Nyong'o and Antonio Banderas, who gives probably my personal favorite performance of the year in Pain and Glory, Really getting a moment and getting recognized as they deserve. Um, they're Mary both Kay Place. Mary Kay Place. In, I mean, I don't know <laughs> if anyone listening has seen Diane, which is uh, the, the film that she won Los Angeles for, um, the Los Angeles Film Critics Association Award. She is so great in that movie, and she's been so great for such a long time. Yes. Uh, I mean, everything. I, she is Just not her, going to get an Oscar prize. nomination. <laughs> but that's what I love about these little regional awards, exactly. is it's, that they don't care. I mean, even more than the HFPA, mm -hmm. they don't they care. They don't care. And there's a nice balance between, like, yes, I, th I would probably give it to Joe Pesci for The Irishman, and he won, and mm -hmm. I would... I mean, maybe I wouldn't give it to Mary Kay Place, but I would love to see her win. And even though she's not going to get an Oscar nomination like Joe Pesci, they can both coexist. And that's very nice. she not be like the Willem Dafoe of this year, though? I'm like throwing all my energy behind Mary Kay Place. I now. would be totally <laughs> behind that. I'm totally behind that. <laughs> Single-handedly, Sarah is campaigning for all Mary right. Kay Place now. MKP, let's make this happen. <laughs> You're Thank it you, out Los there. Angeles, for starting Thank that Thank you, campaign. Los Angeles. Um, yeah, so you got so, those. And then you have like the Critics' Choice yeah. Awards, which so the, is more significant in a larger predictive way, yeah, right? Yeah, so for predictive reasons, I definitely look at those very closely. By the way, they also went quite heavy on When They See Us, which was 
mm -hmm. expected yes. <laughs> and nice mm -hmm. to see. Um, so that, w in a lot of ways, they were sort of a corrective to what the Golden Globes missed. Mm -hmm. I mentioned they were really big on Little Women. They also were very high on Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler. Mm -hmm. And the Safdie brothers, who wrote and directed that, could figure into screenplay, potentially. Um, and then, you know, you, on the other side, you sort of notice movies that just aren't popping up and aren't popping up and aren't popping up, and you sort of realize that it's the end of the line. Mm. So where who's who's getting off the train? The, the Mark Ruffalo vehicle, Dark Waters, which I honestly don't understand why they released it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's fine; it's not a bad movie, but it's really aimed at the kind of crowd that would go to awards movies, but it's not at that level or in that conversation. So it's not doing well at the box office. It's just kind of a no man's land. Mm -hmm. Just Mercy, mm -hmm. um, which was very underwhelming mm -hmm. out of TIFF, has just not. And Jamie Foxx is really good in it, so I think we're still pulling for him. But mm -hmm. Alfred Woodard for Clemency, mm -hmm. she really needed some critics love and just hasn't gotten it. And that's a pretty, I don't want to say thin category, but the amount of like, oh yeah, this person's getting nominated list is quite small, so mm -hmm. she was considered to be in it, but I think at this point, mm -hmm. it's a tough, tough road for her. Mm -hmm. And Best Actor is finally narrowing a bit, which is long overdue. Yeah. Do you think, so, I mean, we know like by the numbers that the Critics' Choice Award often does predict Best Picture winners. Like, has a pretty good track record, right? Six times, well, six times in, like, the last decade. So, like, six out of ten or so, or six out of nine. Do you think of those nominees, you feel like they're in line? Yeah. Yeah. I think they tend to only miss one nominee. So they nominate ten. The Oscars typically eight to nine. Mm -hmm. So figure eight of those ten movies are going to get in, and two of them aren't, and the Oscars might tack on another. That's the way I think about it. It's just there's a sort of consensus that builds in both of these mm -hmm. distinct groups that is very similar. Mm -hmm. So uh, I tend to think the Irishman's very far ahead in this race, so I think. But that's recent, right? The Irishman sort of pulling yeah. ahead so definitively. Well, Joey Nolfi and I's predictions have had I was it just out, out say, front for a while you guys, on EW.com. If you haven't looked at what David and Joey Nolfi from our awarded team also have put together, their tracker that sort of looks at and weighs all of these different nominations and awards and sort of reshuffles. It is a work of art. It's very impressive. Thank you. It's really like, I feel like I really rely on it. <laughs> um, and I know how much time and like discussion and thoughtfulness you've put into it. Um, a lot of arguing. A lot of arguing. Joey and I are, are never uh, without our sassy back and forths. That's good though. Yes. That's what you want. But you don't to, want consensus. No, we, and, but to your point, I mean, the Irishman has sort of just dominated the early awards in a way that positions it very strongly as a frontrunner. That also happened to movies like The Social Network and Zero Dark Thirty. So and last year with Roma. And last year with Roma. I, I think I, very specifically, I think that question of like, yes, there may be widespread recognition of the critical, like, mm -hmm. um, like how well it has made and how good it is. There is still that really deep bias Correct. against Netflix and streaming, I think particularly at the yeah. Oscars. And that was, I think, something we really saw happen last year. That like, even though like yeah. on a critical level, everyone was like, yep, Roma, yep, yep, yep. When push kind of came to shove with traditional Academy voters, they were like, no. I think, I, I do agree with that, but I also think the, the fact that Martin Scorsese is making this kind of movie, but yeah. in a way that where it functions also as an almost an elegy. And it, I think the people who have loved his work for a long time, are going to watch this movie and that are watching this movie and push that over yeah and, and it's a lower barrier for entry too i yeah. mean it is not foreign it yes. is not in subtitle sad in that same yeah. way of sadness it is a story that probably more people even though they can't actually relate to it in their real lives because how many people are gangsters you know aging gangsters yes. looking back on the choices that <laughs> they made, as opposed to a family <laughs> drama that people could probably relate to more but it is something that we're more used to consuming right yeah, exactly and so it is that it's got a little bit of that comfort food element the thing i wanted to ask you mm -hmm. was what is the possibility that since rise of skywalker is their last chance yeah. to give a star wars movie at least in this saga mm -hmm. Uh, a Best Picture nomination, and it could potentially, if it's great, let's say it's actually terrific from an Oscar-type standpoint, not just from a spectacle and box office standpoint. What are the odds that this movie gets an Oscar nomination, especially since there are 10 potential slots? If mm. it's really, really good, 
considered like better Black than the Panther previous two. Good. Yeah, mm -hmm. Black Panther good. Black Panther momentum. Mm -hmm. uh, and sort of, if there's a push behind it, I think, yeah, could get in. Especially because there's not really anything else in that sort of category. That's what I was right. There's no it big populist like box that competition. Movie. I mean, there's, I guess, Joker, but I feel like Joker's positioned itself instead of being that as being like Joker's dark and artsy. Joker's worked really though, against that. Yeah. Perception. You think, could believe, like, just based on the way it's been written about, that Joker is a gritty indie movie. Mm -hmm. Correct. And not like the highest grossing <laughs> R-rated movie right. of right. all time. So since they've done their best to not be the populist and great film that people truly understand, it seems like there is a little bit of a... Yeah. That the opening? space might be open yeah. and for the age of the voters now. A for a question. big swath of voters yeah. that were Star Wars diehards who went on to become sort of snobby film people. Yeah. They wouldn't have 20 years ago, but now they're like, no, I remember my Millennium Falcon toy and yeah. I want to give this an award. The big issue is that Oscar voting has been accelerated a lot. So there's not as much time for it to build a sort of case for itself. I think the category to watch for it is adapted screenplay. That's where they nominated Logan. Um, and it's sort of a weird place where comic book and franchise stuff goes when it is respected. Mm. It's considered adapted because it's part of Correct. the franchise. So the big movie like in this popular spot that we were talking about yeah. was Avengers Endgame, which yeah. is also an ending. Mm -hmm. right. um, but it just hasn't seemed to move in that direction. They, they had and all that Marvel, Martin Scorsese talk this year, I feel like put a nail in that coffin. I really honestly think that was not helpful for it. Because At they all. have been taking out FYC ads. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question. Yeah, thank you for that. I, it I could be the last breaking contender. Yeah. I think it's possible. I, I think like it's that one idea. Of those, none of the actors get nominated, but the movie gets yeah. nominated. Like, I don't know. I'm and I don't I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know. Yeah. I'm just super hopeful. It's one to look at. I mean, person. we we thought we saw all the contenders, but maybe we haven't. Yeah. Okay. Golden Globes. All these movies, all these awards coming at us. David, you spoke with Cynthia Erivo. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that and then let's hear from her. Sure. Uh, it's a fantastic performance in a film that has quietly been a real strong box office player. It's really played well uh, around the country. Uh, we talked about sort of taking on such an iconic human being, such a hero, and also the sort of pressure of telling her story because shockingly disturbingly it has not been told in a motion picture yet so there's a lot of weight on her shoulders she felt uh, but she speaks about it really beautifully and just sort of the physical preparation because harriet had to run a lot and uh be very physically in shape um so yeah it's a, it was a really good conversation awesome here we go Hi, I'm David Campfield, EW's Awardist Series, and I'm joined right now by Cynthia Arrivo, star uh, of the film Harriet. Thank you so much for joining us, Cynthia. Thank you for having me. Um, so I love this film, and I wanted to start by asking you about the sort of scope of it. Mm -hmm. This is, we have not had a Harriet Tubman mm -hmm. movie. You have not led your own film yet. <laughs> Did you feel a lot of pressure? Um, uh, yes, and I mean, less pressure, more a responsibility mm -hmm. uh, to tell the story as fully and as truthfully as I possibly could and to uh, be a good leader on set. You know, I think it's more than uh, just playing a role. It really continues after you've, after they've called cut, to be honest. That's, that's how I feel about mm -hmm. it. So uh, it was a big deal all, all the way around, really. I wanted to tell Harriet's story and I, always, I also wanted to make sure that I was the right person to be number one, really, mm -hmm. yeah, on the call sheet. So how did you come to that decision for yourself that you were the right choice to play this part? Well, I think there was so much faith in me from uh, the director and mm -hmm. the producers that I I didn't, I, I felt like there was, it was not a small decision to come to, to me. And I had, it was a weird moment because when I had found out that they wanted me to be a part of it, I was still in The Color Purple, so I was still on stage. And for me, it was wow. really new and fresh. And, um, I was very much like entrenched in the in the world of the color purple and Seeley and and so I it was daunting because that was what I knew m the most of um, but when we when I sat and talked to Deborah um, Martin Chase who is one of the producers uh, I 
I knew that the story needed to be told and I, and I knew it had taken a long time to get to this point. Um, and I didn't want them to wait anymore, to be honest. And I felt like if, if it was me and if it was going to happen, then I was ready to be open to have it happen. It took another three years from yes. when I was um, cast, um, but we stuck with it and then it happened. Mm. I saw that Deborah had said, you just were Harriet Tubman. Mm. I guess, given that you were sort of sought out so in advance, mm. why, what do you think was it uh, about Harriet and you and, and then sort of melding that people saw? I think maybe um, the, some people might say I'm fearless. I don't know that I am fearless. I think I'm daring for sure. I think there is this kind of spirit that the two of us share in that, mm. you know, we're strong-willed, uh, strong-bodied. Um, when uh, Deborah saw me in Color Purple, I, I had I was doing eight shows a week, being thrown left, right, and center on a, on a wooden stage, right. running up and down the stairs, and you know I was at the top and at the peak of my um, my physical strength and my physical health, and I and I've always been that way, and I I think that the combination of the physicality and the want to keep doing well, the want to the will, I guess, to mm. tell the story as fully as I can. And I think I was putting my heart and soul into to Celia in The Colour Purple, so it meant that I was, she was seeing my heart on stage. And I guess that's, that might have been something mm. that she saw in Harriet as well. Mm. Well, you grew up in the UK, so I'm yes. wondering, what did you know about Harriet Tubman and what kind of research did you do once I knew you... The, I knew the broad strokes. I think what most people know of her is uh, her works and the fact that she um, took, I guess, brought herself to freedom really and truly. She ran 100 miles um, mm -hmm. to freedom and then came back again and brought other enslaved people to freedom as well. I knew that. I knew that uh, she was the one that kept coming back again and again and again and saving people. But um, it was the detail that I was able to find out through the research. You know, things like her husband and, and herself, I didn't know that that was such a big love and I didn't know that mm. that's where it started. I didn't know that the first person she came back for was him. Mm. Um, and, I, and that for me, I guess, ch changed a lot. Um, it sort of opened my eyes as to how I saw it. She sort of all of a sudden became completely human, you know, um, really grounded. Uh, it was sort of wonderful to know that this all began, the story that we know, the adventure that we know, the trial that she put herself through began with a love story. It began with the fact that she could not live with her husband. She wanted to go back and get him. Mm. And then on a dime had to figure out what to do next when that didn't, when that didn't work, when she was broken hearted. Mm. Um, that came from research. It's written research, you know, learning that she was, you know, had the wherewithal to hire a lawyer uh, to prove that her mum was supposed to be free uh, is unbelievable I don't know where who she saw to know that that was what she needed to do next I don't know and the you know the savvy to be able to save the little that she got to hire him it, it sort of the mind boggles really it's yeah. kind of she's incredible in, in all ways the intelligence and the strength and the will and the mm. the sheer determination which I know I have um, to do right yeah. yeah. There's this sort of, the myth of Harry Tubman, as we, mm -hmm. as we grant to a lot of great historical mm -hmm. figures, one of the things I love about this movie is that the very first time you see her mm -hmm. is with her husband, and it's this very yeah. intimate, loving moment, yeah. and you see her as a human being first. Um, can you talk a little bit about finding that core yeah. and, and the conversations you had with your director on oh. find, you know, that kind of structure yeah. introduced her that way? Yeah, I mean, I... I both she and I knew that we, Casey that is, um, we knew that that's what we wanted. We knew we wanted people to see her as a woman and a human being first before we saw her as the, the hero that we all know and love. Um, because I think it's important. I think too many times when we see these characters, they sort of lose their humanity and their earthliness as it is um, because of the story and the heroics. And it, I think it's all too easy to, I guess, detached from the humanity when it's a woman of color. Often it's like the one thing, that a strong woman. And it's like, I just, we didn't want that. We wanted for people to see that this was a young woman who was in love and that was what she was first. 
And I think it changes the way people see her so that when she does become the hero, it's all the more effective, it's all the more meaningful because it comes from that. It comes from someone who is very human and has to overcome human things to become the hero that she is, mm -hmm. yeah. It struck me that so much of her, her journey in this film is about family. Yes. It's about reuniting her yes, family, which absolutely. is a, a very universal theme. And yeah. she emerges as this incredible hero, yeah. but that mission, I feel, is very yeah. human and very universal. In a very lot of much ways. so. It was it, that was the thing she, that drove her. Her her love of God, her love of family. Those were the things that like moved her forward. Um, and then it sort of expanded to the wider world. She realized that in wanting to free her family and herself it wasn't enough that people deserved their freedom they had a right to it and and she wanted to make sure that she was there to to see that through mm. yeah um you mentioned the sort of physicality of this yeah. part and you're running a lot in this movie <laughs> yeah. and and in general there's a lot of physical intensity mm -hmm. that you have to withstand to play this part um what kind of training did you do um i was training every day um i had a, a steady bike um, in the apartment that I was staying in in Richmond um, but beforehand I was weight work it was running it was um, jump rope a jump rope is really good to keep up stamina and strength weighted jump ropes I had everything body weight work I had a, tr a trainer in New York before I moved and because I didn't have the time to the steady bike was really good at keeping um, the stamina up and keeping my body um, the way it needed to be um, horse riding I did as well um, any manner of working out I could possibly do, I was doing, because I needed to keep my my fitness and my stamina up, really. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and the other part of that, of course, is, is inhabiting yeah. her skin, and yeah. there's a real story to the way she moves yeah. and, and the clothes she wears. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that side of it, inhabiting her skin? Yeah, I mean, it's a case of, um, I was lucky because we had um, Paul Taswell, who was incredible. He was a costume designer. And the, in the conversations in which we had, we knew that um, we wanted the costumes also to aid the storytelling, mm. aid the journey of her, so that they also went on the journey. These clothes that she wore uh, were more of a compliment um, than an addition. They sort of sailed alongside each other. And when you put on a corset, it already adjusts the way you stand, the way you move, because it has to. Um, and I knew that I didn't want her to be a track star because there's no training for sport or running. It's sure. just something that she was naturally born with. So I knew that it needed something different to what I would do. I, I run, yes, but I've trained to run. And I knew that what I wanted to do was inject what I had with I guess a naivete a little bit, mm -hmm. so that it was, so that there was a journey for her to go on, for, so that when you see her at the end, it's not, now she knows how she's moving, now she knows how to carry the skirt and get it out of the way and mm -hmm. run with the boots, it all now falls into place, but when you first see her, it's a bit, it's a bit clumsy, she falls from time to time, she trips a little bit, because it's new, and it's not just running for the sake of running, it's running from fear, it's running for her life, so it really is uh, fight or flight, um, and we had to find that, and we had to find out the way she would walk. Um, I guess it's about looking at pictures and seeing the way she stands, seeing the way where she puts her weight. Um, I think that sort of encourages and influences the way uh, you you move. If your weight's in a certain place, when you take the first step, you're going to take it in a certain way. So it's taking all that information in and finding a way to filter it through to turn it into something that uh, lives in reality. Mm. And yeah. There's a narrative here too yeah. in the way the film draws a contrast between uh, Harry Tubman's life as a slave and yeah. Harry Tubman's life as a free woman. Yeah. And when she arrives in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. um, she's very bewildered. Yeah, she has no idea what's going on. She has on. no idea what's going <laughs> on. And there's this tension mm -hmm. even with characters mm -hmm. by Leslie Odom Jr. and Helena. Yeah. In terms of the way you made that turn mm -hmm. from as she kind of gains sort of sense of yeah. self in this new space yeah did you what, what kind of choices did you make to show her um it's so it this in that first the first time she comes into philadelphia it's that that lovely scene between her and the apple cider seller he's selling mm. apple cider and he tells her to walk like you have a right to um it's the decision to instead of walking with her head down or walking as though she's confused, to walk with her head up. It's the first time she does it, back straight, head up. And even then it's still not sure. And 
I guess what I decided to do was ease out of that so it wasn't a stark difference from when you meet her to when you see her towards the end. It, I wanted it to take time for her to be used to walking in a corset and, and in a big dress and and so that when when you meet her and, and Marie Buchanan, who's played by Janelle, when Janelle teaches her how to walk like a lady, uh, it's new. It's these shoes, it's the corset, it's the dress. And so as that goes through the film, I, I made the decision to just keep, um, I guess, ratcheting it up just a bit. Just every time we would get to a new stage in her, she would know how to move like a woman, like a lady, like a free lady, mm -hmm. because it's different. You know, she doesn't have to ha hold her head down, and it's uh, adding that touch of um, grace and finesse every time she would get to the next stage mm -hmm. with confidence, you know? Um, and I guess it just is, it's shown by like elevating the spine a little bit every time and elevating the head and keeping the head upright and uh, moving uh, as though you were floating with the dress sometimes. You know, when, even if she's uh, running, it still feels like she's f floating a little mm. bit. And I wanted to make sure that, that was part of it until the end in that red velvet where it's like, I can do anything. Yeah. So she, can, she, she moves with more urgency. Um, I wanted that to feel badass. Well, she yeah. can wield a gun too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you practice that pose? Because it feels like such an iconic pose, the way she's holding. In the poster. <laughs> well, in, in some scenes <laughs> in, in the some, film yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I did because I wanted it to feel like it was sure. You know, yeah. I think when she gets it, she gets it. And I wanted, it, I didn't want her to feel like, I didn't want it to feel like someone who didn't know what she was doing. Mm -hmm. When you see her finally with it, you know that she knows how to use it. And, and you want to feel like she's, got it handled, she, she's in control, yeah. So you're making all these very specific choices. I'm wondering mm. if there was something particularly difficult to figure out about Harriet. Um, not, not difficult, but um, different. I had to figure out what her singing voice was like. Mm. Um, and you don't have any information other than what you see. Uh, and so it had to, I had to sort of make a decision out of thin air um, just based on her personality, the things that she went through. So I knew that I'm a soprano and it didn't feel right for her to be a soprano. And I knew that I didn't want it to sound like I sound when I sing. Sure. So I knew that there had to be a pitch shift. And um, I guess where I sing from, I needed to feel a little bit different to where she s sings from. So I had made the decision that I wanted it to come almost from the solar plexus. Huh. So it felt like it was really grounded almost. Yeah. Um, and I knew that I wanted to take any aspect of performance out of it because that wasn't the point of it. So you take the performance out of it, you take, um, you sort of go right back to as pure as you can possibly be. Mm. Um, and it becomes a grounded moment of communication. Uh, both Casey and I had discussed like, where do we want it to be? And knew that she was an alto. In my head, she was an alto on the lower end of that. Um, and I knew that it would feel less performative when I did it. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if looking at the photographs too, if mm -hmm. they in any way helped you consider. It's like mapping her face, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It, you know, you, looking at her and you're like, you wonder where the sadness comes and you do the research and you think, okay, so she lost her family. She lost, she lost her sister. She lost her husband. To, a lot of loss happened in her life. Mm. And so, okay, you understand where the sadness is coming from, you understand where the downturn mouth comes from. And because those pictures are slightly later in life, I think what was effective is to see, this, see the joy and the smile at the beginning and watch that sort of slowly fade um, before you finally get it back towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a growth, and, but the, it comes from that one picture of her, you know, yeah. where it's, where it doesn't feel like, but that's when she's like right in the middle of her life. And I wanted to, I wanted to find that. Center of it, yeah. yeah. I, it's an extraordinary story. Mm -hmm. And I was struck at the end of it by the fact that this had not been told yeah. in a film before. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I, you know, I, I don't know that, that people were ready for it. There were so many, I know there were a few attempts uh, to, to tell her story. Um, but I guess this world wasn't ready for her story, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and Casey and I like to look at the bright side and maybe say that maybe Harriet wasn't ready until now. 
um, maybe she has some agency in this and she decided that now is the perfect time for it to be told um, because where we are right now in the world kind of needs a story like this. Um, it needs a story of, of a woman who is empowered and in control and strong enough to make a huge change in the world. So maybe that's why. Mm. Maybe, why maybe that's why now and not why then. Yeah. And hopefully more stories. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. So this was your first time carrying a film really on yeah. your shoulders and obviously you've done that with The Color Purple and yeah. other shows. Yeah. What, how would you compare those two experiences? Um, both very big moments in my life, for yes. sure. This one I'm currently living. <laughs> still living. <laughs> uh, still living. Um, I guess the difference between playing Celie and playing Harriet is on stage, I get the automatic reaction from, from mm. my audience. They tell me how they feel about her. They tell me uh, what they want her to do. Th they are very loud and, th and I love it. With Harriet, it's sort of quieter. You, you're sort of going on, on instinct and you're learning to trust your, your director and you're trusting the, the castmates that you have around you to figure out what is necessary and what's needed. Um, but it, they're both big responsibilities and they're both incredible stories. And I think the biggest difference is that Harriet was real. Harriet existed, and though I believe that Celie may have been based on someone, mm -hmm. um, she's a fictional character, um, and Harriet is someone that, be you know, is beloved by many people. Yeah. Um, and so the responsibility, I guess, of t having the film on my shoulders and also telling the story of someone who lived, and lived for a very long time, mm -hmm. um, is probably the difference between telling something on stage and doing something um, mm. on film, like this. Yeah. yeah. What is something you think you learned about yourself as an actress out of coming out of this experience? Um, that I cared deeply about uh, every aspect of the story. Mm. Um, I, I can't help it. I realized that that's the thing. I really can't help it. It's, it's, for me, it's not just about me. It's about the people I get to be with. It's about the script that I'm reading. It's about uh, making sure that the grip has had some sleep the night before. It's making sure that sound is okay. It's making sure that are we shooting this today or do do we want to, uh, are we sure we don't want to get this extra bit, we can do this one more time or, you know, it's about, I, I like to see all the aspects of it. Uh, I can't help but be nosy and want to know about everything. Mm. Um, and I realise that it, that acting for me is not just about being on the screen. Yeah. I think it's about everything else. It's about how I treat other people. That's definitely something that means a lot to me. And I also learned that I think I've got more strength in me than I thought I did. And, I, and I'm willing to conquer fears to, to get things done. Because hmm. um, I had never climbed a cliff before. <laughs> That's for sure. I had never done rock climbing before. Um, but I knew that I wanted to be a part of as much as I possibly could on this to, because I felt like it was the only way to tell the story fully. Yeah. So if that meant walking into 37 degree water, that was that. 37 degrees. Yeah, it was 37 yeah. degrees that night and it was freezing. Wow. But I knew that it, it wouldn't have made sense for me not to do it because I wouldn't have known how it felt. So I wanted to. And it wouldn't have made any sense to not climb up that because I wouldn't have known how it felt. I don't, I don't want to miss out on those things. Did you talk about that sense of authenticity in the movie and, and you know, yeah. living through those experiences yeah. as obviously as best you could? Yeah, but because before we started, it was the first, one of the first things I asked. I asked if I could do most, if not all of my stunts because I, I wanted to make sure that both mentally and physically I was uh, in touch with her. Mm. Um, so whatever she was meant to go through, I wanted to have experienced as much as I possibly could because if I felt like it informed um, my feelings and the way I told the story uh, as we went on. Um, and it, it just feels better that way because I'm, I guess, a glutton for punishment. I don't want to miss out on anything yeah. and I don't want to miss out on the opportunity to learn more. And the only way to learn more is to be a part of most of the things that I can learn from. Mm. Yeah. So if I was falling, that, there's that one scene where she runs through the wood and sh woods and she's being chased by the, the hounds and the horses and she trips and falls down that weird ravine. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, I wanted to do that. I did that myself and <laughs> threw it's myself down. It's a full like trip up and down. I did it all on my own. I was like, um, I want to work out what that's like. And then to have to like pick yourself up and move on after wow. that. Um, if I don't know what that is, I don't want to start at the end of the fall because that's no use. Yeah, you had to yeah. push yourself. Yeah. 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 I saw you were uh, cast to play Aretha Franklin yeah. in the uh, miniseries Genius. Yes. Do you think that this experience helped you to feel like, yeah, I can play Aretha Franklin? I think so. I think so, yes. That and, and knowing a lot about Aretha and knowing her music very well and being very in love with Aretha um, probably gave me the confidence to, to say, yeah, okay. And, and also it's, it's quite something if, you know, her estate and, and Clive Davis are saying, yeah, yes. you could do this. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of go, okay, I think I can. As you play these characters who are sort of so beloved either in the historical imagination mm -hmm. or in pop culture, mm -hmm. from one to the next, do you feel a little bit less, not, obviously the responsibility's still there, but nervousness about delivering a version that, that people will Do appreciate. I feel less nervous? Um, more confident. <laughs> I, I say more sure. More sure. Um, because I guess I, I, more and more I learn my craft and I learn how, I learn what I have and what I lack and so I know what I need to learn to, to play these roles. Um, nervousness never really goes away because I care too much about everything so I, I want to make sure that it's right. But a little nervousness is never bad. Uh, I use it like adrenaline so it means that if, if, I think if the nervousness went away I would probably stop doing it because mm. um, I think that's my indication. The butterflies and the oh, is this how, I wonder how this is going to be. The, I think that's an indication that I love it. Um, but I think there is like a sureness that comes in bit by bit as I play these characters. It's sort of like, okay, if they trust me to do this, then maybe I can do this, you know? And if I do the work, then, I, then I, I'll, I'll be all right. If I do the, the research, then I'll be okay. It's, it's learning bit by bit that I have the, the capacity to tell the stories fully. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, I can't wait to see you tell many more. Thank, Thank you, you so much for joining us. Thank India. you very much. This has been Entertainment Weekly's The Awardist. Welcome back to The Awardist. David, thank you for talking to Cynthia Erivo, who's a double Golden Globe nominee, both for acting in Harriet and for co-writing uh, with Joshua Brian Campbell, the song Stand Up from the film, as well as performing it. But she's nominated in the Golden Globe sense for co-writing the song. Yes, uh, and deserve for both. Yes. Uh, we are here also with Sarah Rodman, our features editor, um, who we have asked to join us in a, in a round of bold takes. I feel like we've already, Sarah especially, has made some bold, <laughs> predictions, some bold predictions in this discussion already. Yes. The Star Wars prediction or, or hope slash prediction, I think, was strong. But let's, uh, let's do a couple of other. David, what else? What are, where are you, how are you feeling about things in terms of your predictions and bold takes for where we're going to land? So am I, am I to give a bold take yeah. right now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. Let's think. Um, well, in the spirit of the Golden Globes, it's very, very bold, but Joey, Joey has been convincing me that Jennifer Lopez will win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Oh, wow, that is one. bold. That is a good one. That's very good. That is very good. I don't know if this is a bold take or not, because I have not actually looked up the, the, uh, predictions on this, but mm -hmm. I think Wesley Snipes is going to get nominated for Best That's Actor. That's a bold take. For <laughs> Dolomite is my name. I think he is that good in it. And I, I think feel he's like so great in it. people watching it, I think anybody who actually sees it mm -hmm. will feel that way. And mm -hmm. I feel like since Eddie got this nomination for a Golden Globe, people are watching it. Mm -hmm. And the movie's great. Yes, it's great. We've been talking about yeah. how it's our favorite charming movie of Hoping the year. it gets a little more love across the board. Yeah. Um, because it's also a really fun screenplay that I'm surprised hasn't gone further. Just because yeah. Scott Alexander and Larry mm -hmm. Kierzewski are quite beloved in that space. So. Mm -hmm. um, okay, my bold take. I feel like my bold takes have like already been like destroyed because I just kept <laughs> trying right, to manifest <laughs> that women were going to be nominated for anything. <laughs> it just continues. How dare you? So like, like am I, I, I don't want to say I'm jinxing it because I don't think this is on me. Um, your bold take should be a thing that is going to happen or not. I think it's going to happen, <laughs> but also I recognize that I, the, 
potential unlikeliness of it may eclipse my hopes and predictions. You predicted Greta Gerwig to I win. I did. I'm going to double down. I'm going to say, despite this egregious oversight by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, the outrage by people who actually work in the industry and will build momentum about how bold and beautiful a movie Little Women is, especially it's going to come out at Christmas, I think it's going to be a very big box office success. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the kind of movie people go to see with their families at Christmas and cry over together and are, I think, sort of struck by how there is a really new version of it that she has made mm -hmm. and that she is still going to get nominated for um, an Oscar for directing despite I think you're this right. oversight. I think you're right. Bold yeah. take. I like it. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone. That is our show. Thank you, David and Sarah, for joining us Thanks today. Thanks for having we me. We had a whole crew of people on the EW side who did so much work and research today. I want to shout out Joey Nolfi, uh, Lauren Huff, Nick Romano, James Hibbard, um, Jillian Sutterholm, and the rest of the EW.com team who has been up since the crack of dawn making sure that we all know what we're talking about. Um, so if we don't, blame them. <laughs> no, it's all on us. They, they Send have, your corrections <laughs> their way. Um, you can always find complete coverage at EW.com slash awardist and in the magazine. Um, we have some other great interviews that uh, we still haven't rolled out and shared with everyone. So um, some folks who got nominated today we've already talked to. You can go back and listen to those. But we also have Jonathan Price. Uh, you spoke to Sam Mendes. You talked to Tom Hanks, David. So we have a lot of great interviews still to come this season. Um, we'll be back with more of those next Tuesday. Um, thank you, everyone. Please subscribe to this podcast if you are enjoying it on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. Rate and comment. Tell us what you think of it. Tell us what we could be doing better. Tell us what you love. Tell us what your favorite awards nomination process is. Give us your bold take. <laughs> Give us your bold take. Um, thank you, all, as always, for joining us at the Awardist. Uh, this is EW.